0: Well, it's great to be here with you guys, and uh, we are closing out a sermon series today. We're closing out the On Fire series, and actually, all three parts of the Be Transformed, right? We've put it all together. This is the last week of this series, and just excited as we've walked through all that it is and all that God has revealed to us, and uh, we have one last piece today, all right? And uh, so, let's just make sure we remember where we are as we take our steps forward. Let's throw the triangle up, all right? And so, this is on page 66 in your books if you want to turn there. And uh, remember, encounter. We will meet our God and get to know our God as we spend time in His Word, as we spend time, honestly, just open-eyed in His creation, looking at God revealed. Encounter the living God, right? That's our first and foremost step. Make sure we grasp who He is, encounter Him. Then we move up the triangle to exalt. And uh, there's three phrases we use there: behold, be still, and then be filled. And uh, last week was a big week as we spent some time talking about be filled. We put it all together, right? And so as we spend time beholding our God, reaching out to Him, celebrating who He is, bringing the truth of who God is back to Him in celebration, in thanksgiving, in praise, in appreciation. And of that huge reach out. And from the reach out, we then drop our hands. We go to be still. Stop fighting. Take the deep breath. Put ourselves underneath God. And trust him with all we've got. Behold and be still. And really those two come together. And that's the steps that it takes to be filled. Be filled, which is what we looked at last week. And we spent some time just understanding it through the analogy of the sailboat. The sailboat. And the Holy Spirit, right, the Greek word there for spirit, also the same word for wind. And so we use the sailboat analogy as he says, be filled. And we make sure that our sail is filled. So we have one job. Set the sail. How? Behold him. Celebrating all that he is, right? And then be still. Stop fighting. Drop your arms. Confess whatever sin needs to be let go of. And let God be glorified. And man, he talks about that being, be filled, right? That's the command we had from last week. And so that's exalting. That's what it is to exalt our God, to worship him. There is no greater life change than spending some time camped out before the greatness of your God. And make sure you're there, man. And make sure you don't move ahead to this next step till you've got the first two down, all right? Now we move to the third step, coming through the triangle of engage. And uh, Lord, as you now have shown me who you are, as you have been my everything and I've poured it out to you, as you've begun to change me, your glory pouring over me, now I reach out in action, okay? Now I'm going to celebrate who you are with my actions. And uh, not before it. Everybody say, "Not not before. Now I do it after the encounter, after the exalt. Now I'm reaching out. This is a huge deal. It's a cooperative move. God's already doing a huge thing in me. Now I'm stepping out with him. I'm not faking it or trying to make it. I'm cooperating with the God who's already doing it. And all of God's people said, that's a huge difference. It's a huge difference in our Christian walk. And there's a lot of teach that's gone on that has gotten it in another direction. That has made it all about do it, borderline to earn it. And, and we better be careful with that. That is not at all what this is saying. And we're going to walk through the passage today and, in fact, have to wrestle with a couple pieces, even in this passage, to make clear what we're talking about with engage, all right? So turn with me, if you will, to 1 Timothy chapter 4, 1 Timothy 4, starting in verse 6, as we talk about engaging, follow through, and uh, how in the world do I go about cooperating with God? Not grieving the Spirit not quenching the spirit, but actually cooperating with them. Remember we talked about grieving and quenching last week. That's what begins to take the wind out of the sail, right? And uh, all right, here we go. First step. Train yourself for godliness. Train yourself for godliness. You may want to write this word next to it. Just write the word head. Head. Like we're going to inform the head, okay? This is the first piece is making sure we grasp Uh, cognitively what's going on. Train yourself for godliness. What is the plan as we inform the head here? All right, here we go. Starting in verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. And uh, we'll just hang on right there. And uh so he starts out with this statement in verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. And uh, these things, what, what things? And so whenever we see something like that, we have to make sure we're connecting back and grasping what's going on. For sure, it's at least the first five verses of chapter 4, right before it. It's at least that concept of uh, the details here of correctness in the doctrine and being careful what you go after, right? He talks here about asceticism. And he's like, man, watch out. These guys that are like, don't get married. There's a godliness in not getting married. And and they started creating something about holding back from marriage as if that was good. Remember, when God made Adam, he said it was good. But then when he made Adam and Eve, it was very good, right? And like he's saying, there's nothing wrong with marriage. In fact, that's the design and the plan to bring it together. So to run forward and start screaming not... You're beginning to create your own rules. And Paul, as he was writing to Timothy, was like, watch out for the own rules kind of guys and uh, down with marriage and down with food and all these other ascetic moves they were doing. He's like, yeah, not that. And so at least he's talking about those things, but he might even be going back to the whole of the book. There's only been a couple chapters before it. I just wrote a couple words down here. He was talking about doctrinal correctness overall. He was talking about praying for all people celebrating the immortal, invisible, only wise God. And uh, he was talking about leadership in the church with elders and deacons. And he might have been going back all the way to that stretch. For sure he's saying this, man, as we've talked through these details, make sure you reveal these things out. It's the loving thing to do. In fact, he uses the word put, put these things before him. That word is a very uh, gentle word. This is not command, demand, force beat up. Okay? This is very gently and respectfully remind them. That's what that word means, okay? And so carefully walk through the details and put these things before the brothers, those that are saved, and you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Please note the word here for servant, it's not one that you'd often hear. It's not the one that could be translated as slave, doulas in the Greek. It's not the one that means you have no rights and privileges. There's sometimes where Paul uses that word when he talks about us standing before Christ. We have no rights and privileges before Christ. Everybody gets that, right? Like we deserve nothing. Everybody gets that, right? That is a weak one. Everybody gets that, right? And so that's an appropriate word, use of the word, but here he actually uses a different word. He uses the word that we get the word deacon from, servant. And he's like, man, just humbly use your hands and your mouth and your thoughts for your God. And so he's not talking here about our nothingness as much as he's talking about opportunity in being able to serve our king. And he says, just know this, you have a chance to be able to get out and serve Jesus Christ. Uh, He says, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. And... um, very specifically here, uh, the gospel message and the good news of Jesus Christ and the hope of who he is and the trusting in all that God has in store. And, and make sure your church is on fire with that, Timothy. Right? Remember, he's writing to a guy named Timothy at Ephesus and he's talking to him about how to pastor this church and what they should be going after. And uh, yes, the doctrine of the church should be centered on who our God is. It says, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Now, some of you, actually, in your translation, it may even say, have nothing to do with uh, old wives' tales or something like that, right? And there's a reason for that. In the original language, it actually does have a word there that sort of implies old wives' tale. It was like a colloquial phrasing, and we've heard it ourselves, right? Where we say, ah, that's just an old wives' tale. Like, what do we mean by that? Well, we mean it doesn't really carry much weight, it's, it's kind of like separate from the truth, it's sort of goofball, it's a waste of time. And that's what was going on here. It was a colloquialism, it was a word used to say, man, stop worrying and messing around with the things that are irreverent. They don't respect God Almighty. And they're silly in their nature. And um, I'm not sure how the ESV ended up coming up with the word silly, uh, but they ended up saying in the midst of it, you're missing the fact that it is completely unrelated to the truth. Right? And so they tried to grab that kind of word there to be able to translate across. This is one of those moments when sometimes you'll see uh, interpretation and sometimes you'll see translation when you're going from the original language to the English, right? And uh, the ESV tries to almost always stay with translation, just get word for word. Uh, Some of those times they end up switching over and going to interpretation, like here's what it really means so that we don't get off on the wrong track, okay? This wasn't some slight against. A certain age range or a certain gender. This was more of a colloquial statement about the ridiculousness of the truth of it. Okay? And a huge deal that we get that. It's the opposite of God honoring, it's the opposite of biblical. And uh, it's literally just silly. It's a false promise, a false hope, and it has false limits in it. What examples do we have of of these silly things? Well, verses 1 through 5 are a great example. As he talks about these lists of things you can do to get better with God. Giving stuff up to try to earn salvation, this ascetic step. It's not in the scriptures, and it's a bogus teach. And just watch out for those ridiculous myths. Don't get caught up in them. Hey, church, huge call for us. And don't get caught up in the ridiculous speculating that goes on beyond what God's word says. And all of God's people said, We must hang tight to God's word and the truth of what he has to say here. It says, rather than getting hooked up in all that stuff, right? rather, uh, train yourself for godliness. Train yourself for godliness. Literally, the word means exercise hard. Train. Pump some iron, man. That's what it means. He's taking on this very uh, physical word. In fact, we get the word gymnasium from it. Right? It's a base word that we get the word gymnasium from. It means, get some workout on. Get this thing going. And then he says, train yourself for godliness. So he's hooking together two very different concepts. He takes on this physical training word, and he connects it with a godliness facet. All right, Train yourselves for godliness. And, uh, it's a huge deal. And I just wrote these words down. Um, the Greco-Roman world was huge in physical exercise, probably not unlike our communities today, right, in America, and a big on getting in shape. And so they had all kinds of words and goals for getting physically fit, all right? That was a big focus for them. Godliness, not so much. Didn't really care about that, and uh, really kind of drink deep of whatever you want. And does that sound familiar at all? Right? How much is that our society today? And he's like, listen, be careful, train yourself up for godliness. And uh, I tried to think of the best words I could use for train yourself so that it would hit us like a physical exercise thing. And the best thing I could come up with was the phrase, just pump some iron. Right? Those are phrases we see that are so clearly speaking to the physical for godliness. Pump some iron for godliness. And uh, there's a huge challenge here to make sure that we get after an impact that affects our king. And uh, for godliness, it's a focus on doing what's right, it's a show of your worship, godliness. And uh, man, may your actions reflect the one you know as king. All right? And uh, that's what godliness is all about. And uh, train yourself for godliness. Then he says, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and for the life to come. For as bodily training is of some value, some of your translations actually say bodily training is of little value. For as bodily training is of little value and you're like, I knew it. I knew I didn't have to work out. It's of little value, and that's not really what it means. It does mean that it has some value, okay? And so the ESV captures it well. It's got some value in being able to stay in shape, all right? So if your plan was to take this verse and put it up on a plaque so every day you could get up and say, not working out, and that's why. It's of little value, and and that's not the point of the passage, all right? It's saying there is great value. There's value in it, but it's limited in comparison, it's a comparative word and limited in its value. It has little value. Why does he say that? Well, because he then goes on to this godliness. He says bodily training is of some value. Godliness, well, is of value in every way. And godliness is of value in, every, in how many ways? Do you believe that? Let that settle for a moment. You really believe that godliness every way. There's physiological value to godliness. There's mental value, emotional value, spiritual value, godliness in every way. And that's what we need to be going after. And all too often, we're quick to blow off the godliness and we try to run after something very limited in our scope that we can see right in front of us. And uh, he's like, just so you know, bodily training, yeah, it has some value, but godliness, invaluable in every way. Uh, it holds promise for the present life and for the life to come. It holds promise for here and now. Man, as you go after godliness, there is benefit here and now. It may be just the limitation of negative consequences. It may be that. It may be more. It may be blessing that gets poured on. It may be that. But God has some value in the godliness in your life here and now. And it affects every facet of who you are. Every facet. Man, when we see those words every, don't toy around with it. Let's really go after that. God, may you impact every part of my body as I go after godliness. And may you be glorified in it. It says it has promise for this present life and also for the life to come. Godliness, it's going to affect the life to come. Again, I ask, do you believe that? Do you believe that what you do here is going to affect something about there? Do you believe that what your actions and choices are here will somehow be reflected in eternity with your king? Do you believe that? And uh, as you wrestle through it, you might be like, I I think I believe it, but I have no idea how. And uh, I'll join you there. And uh, it's not exactly clear how, but we do know this. We see scripture talking about rewards. We see scripture talking about responsibilities. And uh, these are things that God is going to bring upon you and me as we trust in him. First of all, let's get that clear. There is eternity with him when we trust in him as Savior, right? That's required, mandated, bare minimum. You believe that he's risen from the dead, you confess him as Lord, right? That's where eternity is guaranteed as we now have him as Savior. But then what happens in our life experience there? Well, he says that there's something that goes on in the midst of it. As uh, he rewards, as he gives out responsibility. And uh, that's a huge deal. It's, a, it's an opportunity for us to experience something that maybe we couldn't have before based on how we act here. I just wrote this phrase down actions here affect the depth of our experience there. Actions here affect the depth of our experience there. And um, it doesn't mean there will be anything dissatisfying or unfulfilling. But there might be something even that much more fulfilling based on how we've been or acted here. We really don't understand what that means, but there's going to be some chance or opportunity to interact with God on a bigger, deeper, uh, more vast level. Doesn't mean that the guy who didn't get that is dissatisfied. There's no sin. We're not walking around coveting each other. I wish I had what he had. Should have been a little more godly back there on earth. Everybody say it's not that. It's not that, man. It's this absolute satisfaction, and there's just all these varying degrees of depth of experience of God completely satisfied. Heaven, okay? And a huge privilege in the midst of it. And uh, godliness It's valuable in every way. And I'll just say this, you know, Timothy talks about godliness here in 1 Timothy 4. In 2 Timothy 3, he comes back and revisits, and he talks about a form of godliness, here he's like, just, man, go after the godliness, train yourself in it. In 2 Timothy, he's like, and don't go after those forms of godliness that just look like it, but they're not it. Go after actual, heartfelt, filled from within, spilling out godliness. That's what he's calling us to, all right? This is absolutely a call to see the encounter, exalt, spill into engage experience. May we not just run to engage, okay? Everybody say, don't do that. Don't just run to engage. Encounter, exalt, big, rich experience, worshiping of your God, Him changing you. Now we step out into godliness, exercising that. All right, that's what we're going after. I remember when uh, I was, I don't know what, seven, eight, nine years old, somewhere in there. And uh, I was out riding my bike uh, with some friends and it was one of those summers Where as we were riding along, there was all this stuff on the sidewalk. It was all these brown things. It comes like once every 17 years. You know what I'm talking about? And so all these cicada shells are all over the place. And these cicadas, you know what they are? They're bugs like this big, right? And they come climbing out of the ground. I found that out this week. They actually were in the turf. They come up out of the ground every so often, and there's different... uh, timings on the various ones. The ones around us were apparently on the 17-year gig, from what I was told then. And they come climbing out, and they're everywhere. And they're noisy. Have you heard how loud those things are? They said that if a cicada makes that noise right next to your ear, it could make you go deaf. Did you know that? That's how loud it is. So, like, really loud. That's one. And then you put them all over the trees, and they are loud. And then they decide I'm done with this thing I'm wearing, right? It's actually called an exoskeleton. I found that out this week. I did not know that as an eight-year-old. But it climbed out of its exoskeleton, leaving these brown shells hanging there. Some of them like cling to the tree, and then they climb out of the shell. So the shells are left clinging to the trees. You know what I'm talking about, right? And you walk by and you're like, that looks really sickening right? All these shells are just hanging there, and there's shells all over the ground, and when the wind blows, they just blow in the wind. They're super lightweight. If you pick them up and just press on them a little bit, they crush into pieces. They're so fragile and hollow, right? Not that kind of godliness. Not a form of godliness, that looks like it and is shaped like it, but it's super fragile. It can be blown in the wind and it has nothing inside. It's completely hollow. Not that kind of godliness. The kind of godliness where we're getting to know our God and we're worshiping and exalting him with all we've got and his glory is pouring over us. It's filling your sail. It's filling your soul and you are filled with the Holy Spirit, is glory now changing you, and you now step out into a godliness that expresses the change God is doing in you. Train yourself for that godliness. Okay? Simple question. So are you building a form of godliness? Or godliness? Which one are you going after? Are you trying to make it look good on the outside, but inside it's a complete fake? And it's time to get back and encounter and exalt. And then re-engage where it's truly matching where your heart's at. Okay? Let's go after it together. That's the plan. All right. Number two. Set your hope on the living God. Set your hope on the living God. He starts in verse 9. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of, what saying? The one we just went through. While bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. Man, that is trustworthy and worth fully accepting. Lord, may I count on this fact that I can go after doing some working out physically and that's great for the moment, but I need to go after a godliness training which has value both here and everywhere in my life. Lord, may you be glorified in that truly a trustworthy saying. It says, for to this end we toil and strive. Uh, toil, it means to work to exhaustion. Toil. And if you don't get the exhaustion part in there, we're missing it. Toil, it doesn't mean work for a little bit. It doesn't mean that. It means pour it on to complete exhaustion. And uh, strive, it means to put effort to the point of pain. In fact, in the original language word there, the word agony is built into it. Agony. Work to the point of agony. Pain. That's striving. Striving. You'll feel it. You'll feel the burn of it. You'll feel the press of it. If you've been in physical exercise environments, you know what I'm talking about. You can feel your muscles getting weak. You can feel the weight getting wobbly. You can feel your legs turning to rubber. You can feel your chest beginning to burn. You can... That's striving. Now that in the realm of godliness. Go after it. Toiling and striving. A full out uh, pouring on of engaging effort. Can you see how we could preach this passage? And if you don't talk first about encounter and exalt, you get into a very legalistic approach to life, don't you? It's so easy to all of a sudden start running after actions and activities and just trying to muscle it up, man. And that's not what he's talking about. Let's make sure we keep in context where we're coming from, all right? And uh, so, yes, this engaging, a toiling and a striving, a pouring it on hard for our God because we have our hope set on the living God. I love that phrase. He puts the word living in there. He doesn't say, because we have our hope set on God. We have our hope set on the living God. In other words, let's contrast it. Not on some dead idol, right? Not on some dead idol, we're not walking around just picking out some possession in this world and making that my idol or some respect I may get from someone and making that my idol or even another human being and making them my idol. Boy, I hope they like me this week. And right, It's not that. And We're going after our living God and setting our hope on him, uh, putting our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Now, I'm just going to tell you this phrase here has created more bad theology uh, than many verses in all of Scripture, okay? Who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. So let's talk about it for a second. What in the world is he talking about here? Savior of all people. So uh, let's talk about a few things that it does not mean. Everybody say not. It does not mean. Uh, some would say Savior of all people, so everybody's going to go to heaven. Not that. That's called universalism. And it says you don't have to believe in Jesus Christ and you don't have to count and trust in him. Not that, just live and God will end up resolving and it's not that and how do we know? we we'll always compare scripture against scripture, okay? Revelation 20 verses 11 through 15 talks really clearly about there being a sentencing for those who will not trust in Christ as savior, a sentencing that ends up in eternal separation, hell. A sentencing to hell. Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. 2 Thessalonians 1, 8, and 9 talks about a suffering that's going to be mapped out. Matthew 25, 41 describes the duration of it as well. An eternal suffering for those who are resisting Jesus Christ as king. Man, we've got to be careful. Don't create some bogus theology based on half a verse somewhere in Scripture and not comparing it to the rest of Scripture. We have some very clear statements in Scripture that there is A hell for those who choose to resist God at every level, all right? And so it's not that. It doesn't mean Savior of all people must mean everybody goes to heaven. Not that. And uh, so then what does it mean? Well, here's another one that it's not. Say not. Another one that it's not, okay? Some will say it's potential and actual. Savior of all people, potentially, but especially to those who believe, actually. And uh, I'll just say this got to be really careful with that. It says, he is the Savior of all. It doesn't say he could be. The potential is not built into the verbs there at all. It says, is the Savior of all. And so to say this is potential, man, that starts to take it in a weird direction. And uh, he is the Savior of all, especially of those who believe. And so we have something about a, a level or an amount there's a, a, sal- a salvation experience that everyone gets to have with Christ. But there's even more for those who trust in Christ as Savior, especially for those who believe. That word especially is huge. It's saying, and even more so for, right? And so here's what it probably does mean. This is what it is. This is my best explanation of it, all right? And uh, so here we go. I would say it probably best is describing what God is doing both here and then there. It's temporal and then eternal. He just talked about it right before it as he talked about the value of godliness. And he said, for this life and the life to come. And so you're seeing it again here, even in Christ's work. He is the Savior right here and right now for all of us. You're like, really? How? And uh, here's a couple of verses. Acts 17.25. You may want to write it down. Acts 17.25. It says that God gives all men life and breath and Everything. There isn't one moment our molecules stay together without him. There isn't one moment I take a breath in without him. There isn't one moment I have one possession in anything of my life without him. And that's true for all mankind. He is the savior of us all. Man, our daily physical experience is a massive we need him experience. You better get that. See, here's how we tend to live life. Physically, no, 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 no. I got this one, God. I got it. Spiritually and whatever in that eternal thing, you can do that one. Dude, that is not what scripture says. We have what we have because of him. He is our savior physically, and that is true for all mankind. And then he says the word especially, like even more so, like how much more for right? Those who believe. Now we move to the eternal, the spiritual. So now I'm trusting in Jesus Christ, the Savior. Romans 10 says that if you believe that he is raised from the dead, and if you confess him as Lord, you will be saved, okay? It's that simple. And there is a salvation hope we have in Jesus Christ, and believing in him takes us to that position of eternally, eternally secure, praise be to God, that's what we have. He is our Savior, both eternally and temporally. Absolutely true. And uh, praise be to God for it. Uh, Matthew 5.45 is another example, by the way. If you want the temporal, the, he brings down the sun on both the evil and the good. He brings down the rain on the just and the unjust. How much more do we get to taste of him when we believe in him? Praise be to God. Okay? Man, we set our hope on the living God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. John 14, 6. Make sure you always answer tough passages of Scripture with Scripture. Always. Make sure it harmonizes and works together or you could be creating some really whack theology. You know what I'm talking about? Be careful on it. And uh, All right. So that's the explanation of that piece. He says, set your hope on the living God. You know, this... Uh, This past week, uh, John and I went to a uh, senior pastor's retreat. So all the Harvest Bible chapels, we have 156 of them now, we found out this week. There's 156 Harvests. And so over 100 Harvests uh, traveled out there, senior pastors and their wives, and we were out there for a retreat in Phoenix together, uh, which turned out to be like 85 degrees. It got to 90 one day. We thought we'd bring a little back for you on Saturday. That's why it was 60-something here, right? Brought a little Phoenix to you. And uh, it was nice, it was just good to kick back out there, and and, uh, James McDonald brought a little explanation on marriage, and uh, just some good challenges for us, and how to work together as husband and wife, so we took some things to uh, bear for us, and have made a little adjustments in our life, and man, you are never too old to start making changes to get things fixed up, and all of God's people said, right, and so we're going after some things in our life to hopefully address, and uh, uh, I'll say warm up even more some of our relationship together and excited to go after some of that, all right? On our way back, well, I'll just say this on the way there. Remember there was snow last Sunday? Do you remember that? And we were bolting out to jump on an airplane. So we got up to, up to uh, Chicago. We were supposed to catch a six-something flight out to Phoenix. And uh, this much snow shut Chicago down for hours. So we were sitting there in the terminal until, well, basically by the time the plane took off, close to 1 a.m., So we had about a six-hour delay. We landed out there. By the time our heads hit the pillow, it was like 5 a.m. Phoenix time as our heads hit the pillow. So we were ready for an awesome retreat, right? (laughs) Get two hours of sleep. You're like, holy cow. On the way back, we're coming back through, and we had decided to leave some spare time just in case we get caught up in something and didn't know what was going on with. And and as we're walking through, the guy behind me has this giant bag, and he throws the bag up, and it's going through the little x-ray machine, you know, and all of a sudden, a The dude who's running the x-ray machine stops the thing. He's got his little toggle, stops it, makes it go backwards. Forward, back, forward, back, forward, back, forward, back, forward, back. Grabs it, pulls it off. The guy goes, hey, what are you doing? I got to go. He goes, you got some kind of liquid in here? He goes, no. He goes, you might want to think again. Starts running it. The guy's like, what happens now? And he's like, well, i got to call somebody in for a bag check. Hang on. Bag check, line five. Bag check, line five. Sets it down. And nobody shows, right? He's like, this is ridiculous. I don't have anything in there. And then his wife goes, honey, what about the pop? And he goes, I have her pop in my bag. I don't, I don't want to be there for this. This is stupid. I don't want, right? He starts going off. He's, I use the word stupid. He used a lot worse words, but I'll just say, got pretty temperamental in the midst of it as he went off and And um, let me just tell you, he didn't quite get the whole idea of terrorism and the lack of safety and let's protect and what about the liquids and what if, and and we in America are just living like we're not at war, you know what I mean? And uh, the Pentagon, actually, this is a number one statement from the Pentagon, biggest problem in America right now is we live like we're not at war. We don't understand what's going on and there is some stuff that's at risk and it's going to cost us a little bit and it might mean you have to get to the airport a little bit earlier and be careful with some things and really if they stop you because you have liquid this big in your bag, please be thankful for that, right? (laughs) And uh, somebody could have done something bad with that, right? And those kinds of things. Man, the church is also living like we're not at war. All right? And we don't understand that this is an all-out attack and Jesus Christ said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. There is a thwarting attempt. There is an attack on, and we set our hope on the living God. That's where our heart stands. We set our hope on the living God. Man, as we go after engaging, please know this. Your God is the only God who is alive and awesome and unbelievable And there is nothing worth putting ahead of him. He is the immortal, invisible, only wise God. Man, set your heart on him and worship him. Praise be to God. Nothing like getting amped about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and who he is. Get this. As we go to engage, we are at war. And we are being called to action for our Savior and for his kingdom. And all of God's people said? All right. Point number three. Point number three. Set an example in speech, conduct, faith, love, and purity. Set an example in speech, conduct, faith, love, and purity. And uh, he says here, command and teach these things. So Paul is telling Timothy to command these things. So Paul is now going to put them all in the command form. There are actually eight commands right here in this little section as he's like, you command and do these things, teach these things, so now I'm going to command you to command those things, okay? So here we go. Uh, First, let no one despise you for your youth. Timothy's a young guy, and uh, don't let anybody look down on you just because you're young. Don't let anybody use the word punk with you, right? Don't let them mistreat you. How, how, how do you do that? How do you not let anyone despise you? Someone looks at you and you're like, Psh, you're so young. And you're like, oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> how, how do you do that? How do you not let someone despise you? And uh, so he goes on and he fills it in right after it. He says, let, not, let no one despise you for your youth. But here's how you don't let them despise you. Set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. Man, you want some respect, live it. And you want some respect, maturity expressed through your life. That's what Paul's saying. And uh, five facets of a mature life. He puts it right here for us, all right? Five facets for a mature life. First, speech. Man, the words you use and the tone you use says a lot about your maturity. Watch your language. We talked about it last week as the uh, don't get into the uh, coarse joking or the filthy talk and the, right, those pieces as well. Be careful. And uh, your speech says a lot about your maturity and your following of Christ. Conduct. That's the next one he puts here. Conduct. This is uh, what you value put into action. Conduct, what you value, put into action. Notice we are not talking about a form of godliness here where you fake it and then you go out and blow up. Not that, right? This is actually your heart expressing out your value system. That's the conduct he's talking about. It's true worship, okay? Worshipful giving of your time, your talent, and your treasure. Worshipful giving, man. That's your conduct. Time, talent, and treasure all brought into play under conduct. Okay, love, Uh, caring for God and others, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Love, make sure you are loving because God is love. If you want to represent your king well, be what he is, love, okay? Speech, conduct, love, faith, trust in your king in the midst of the hardest circumstances you've ever seen. Faith. In the midst of the biggest struggle you being called to, my God's got this. I don't know which way he's headed with it, and whichever way he goes, I'll worship him. Faith. All out trust. And then purity. Long for what he longs for. Think of what he thinks about. Desire what he desires. Purity. And uh, this speaks to our mind and our heart. Purity. Five facets of maturity is like, hey, if you want to silence the, the critics, these are the facets of your life you need to see expressed. Please note how much each of these reflects God's character, right? The power of God's spoken word. He's like, speech matters. And conduct, he is perfect in everything. His love, faith at the center, he brings this unbelievable trust ability of him and absolutely pure in nature. And, uh, He says, let no one despise you for your youth. Set the believers an example in those things. And then he says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Man, get on the word. Command. And we believe firmly in this here at Harvest. One of our pillars, proclaim the authority of God's word without apology. When we stand up, we're not like, hey, I just had a thought. And I was just kind of thinking today maybe, and not that, it's thus saith the lord here is god's word revealed to us we will proclaim the authority of god's word without apology this is where we stand well dude culture's kind of going a different direction and they're a little offended by it this is where we stand and all of god's people said Amen. and we will read his scripture, we will stand on his scripture, we will be exhorting and teaching from his word, we will proclaim the word of God without apology, and that was a call to Timothy, and uh, he says then, do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Timothy has some gift here, and we, we don't know what it is, it doesn't say, some will surmise it's attached to the sentence before it, and say it's a preaching, teaching gift. And uh, some will say, well, he already talked about preaching, teaching, and now he's given another command, don't, don't neglect your gift. Maybe it's another gift. Maybe he's got the gift of, of like, carrying a ton, you know, mercies and, and helps, and maybe he's in that realm, or some kind of pastoral care. It doesn't say here. All we know is, at some level, when he was called into the pastorate and elders laid on hands, Holy Spirit did some huge thing in him. And here's what we know. We know that every believer has a gift from the moment they believe, right? When you trust in Christ as Savior, there is a gift you have. 1 Corinthians, Romans, both bear those out. And uh, So this is at a time where it could be that a gift was withheld in the moment, waiting for elders to lay on hands. Could have been that. It, It could be that he already had a gift at trusting in Christ. And then on top of it, this one came as well. We're not exactly sure what's going on. Acts sort of has this transition that occurs where at one point God is like, hang on, the gift of the Spirit will be released on them when the apostle lays hands on so that there's an approval of who this person is and a clarity that they're with God. That was something going on in Acts. That's what we would call descriptive. Hear that word, descriptive? It's something that was happening, but it's not saying it will be that way for all time. Because what we see over time then is now when people start to trust Christ, the Holy Spirit comes on them and gives a gift right at. So the prescriptive is trust in Christ, Holy Spirit will bring. He'll decide when, where, and how. Early on, he was waiting for apostles laying on hands. Now comes at salvation, okay? Timothy has some gift. We're not sure what the gift is, but whatever it is, Paul's like, rock that gift, right? God's given you something, man. Don't lose it. Hey, church. You trust in Jesus Christ. God has given you a gift to use in this place. Make sure you're using your gift, right? What is he entrusting to you to be in this place and to be a part of this place? Man, God has brought you here, and we need you. We love you, and we want to get you plugged in. What's the role God's calling you to, okay? And a huge privilege and opportunity to be a part of him building his church. He says, do not neglect like the gift. Next one, practice those things Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. I love the statement. So that all may see your progress. Man, why do we engage? So that those around can see God at work and say, truly, there is a God at work. And uh, it goes something like this. Dude, have you seen Tim? That guy's like different. God's doing something because that clearly ain't him. Right? It's the whole, are you kidding me? Look what God is doing. Man, we have a chance to worship our king as we make much of him and let him be celebrated, okay? As you go after engaging, practicing these things, why? To put your God on display in worship. Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus under good works, all right? Let's celebrate him. It is not to earn salvation. It is to demonstrate that God's doing something huge in me, and he is the living God. And all of God's people said, all right? He says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Uh, just so you know, our elder board, every, every time we get together, close watch on the teaching. We are watching what's going on with our doctrine, clear to what's going on in God's word, careful to what's happening here in this place. And a huge deal, man, don't lose direction. The doctrine through the scripture gives us direction, all right? He says in the end, persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. And again, here's another verse that could cause a lot of confusion. We'll save both yourself and your hearer. Let's be really careful with this verse. I'll just say it this way. Um, When we talk about salvation, we see God's sovereignty and we see man's responsibility. We see both of those talked about in Scripture. God's sovereignty as he chooses us before the foundation of the world, as he seals us, as he predestines us, God at work. John 6, as he draws us, God sovereignly invested in. We see that, but we also see man's responsibility, Romans 10, as we believe in him, as we confess him as Lord, as we respond to his word. There's responsibility. And so, God doing a work that feeds itself through to, and I'll just say it this way, Ephesians 2, we talked about it a couple weeks back, probably the best passage to try to grasp this, as it says this, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, man's responsibility, for it is God who has worked in you both to will and to work of his good pleasure. God working in you both to will and to work of his good pleasure. There's a man's responsibility piece, but it is initiated by God. It is put into your soul. Why does it say with fear and trembling? Because God's the one who even put the passion there. God's over this. He's in this. He's got this. So notice when he comes to this passage and he's like, that you might save yourself. What's he doing? Paul has no problem with saying this. Hear me now. Salvation put into the hands of humanity is tenuous at best. Salvation put into the hands of our God is eternally secure. So every time we look at salvation through God's lens, secure, sealed, got it. And every time we look at it in our lens, we're like, oh, work hard. Make sure you keep that in, right? It's a call for us to get close to our God. He's where the security lies. And all of God's people said, all right, engage. Engage. Man, it's a follow-through action or we don't get it. May we encounter our God. May we exalt our God. Behold him. Drop our arms and be still before him. Let him take charge. Confess what needs to go. And as God starts pouring on you and doing a work, step out into godliness that God is doing. Man, as you exercise putting yourself into it, that which is good both for here and there, going after your king getting all the glory, him changing you, and when someone comes up and they're like, dude, things are changing in your life. And you're like, I'm just telling you, it's all my God. It is all my God at work. That's what this is about. May we go after life change making much of the fame of the name of, this, of Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen. that's engage. Let's make sure we keep it in line and in place. Don't get it out there in front. All of a sudden it becomes why I'm saved and now we just made legalism. Get it right back at the caboose. It's a follow through as God's done a work in my life. Let's exalt him with all we've got. And that's lasting change on fire. Let's pray.